I really believe that Christmas is the manifestation and the work of our designer and builder, God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I look at the lives that have been changed. I can look in the mirror and see my life and how it's been changed. And I am in awe of His designs. You know, as Christians, we have two days a year that we really uh, regrettably what would be the word I want? Devote to celebrating uh, Jesus Christ. One of them is Easter upon his death. And the world's gotten into this, you know, commercialism. And then we have Easter, which is the season that we're in now, the birth of Jesus. We celebrate it in December. Doesn't matter when we celebrate it, but we celebrate it there. And the longer that I read about God and I read about the birth of Jesus, the more in awe I am of all of the little stories that surround that situation. And for the next, see today is the fourth, we have the 11th, the 18th, and so for the next three or four weeks I'm going to share with you some different stories surrounding uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting about the birth of Jesus, first of all, to begin with, the plan for the birth of Jesus actually started before the, before the earth was ever formed. Uh, the Bible in Ephesians 1 and 4 and 1 Peter 1.20 tells us that God, when he created mankind, he wanted a being that was made in his likeness, and that had a free will who would fellowship with him because he wanted to, not because he was made to fellowship with him. And God, who is omnipotent and omnipotent, and, and he knew that when he put man on this earth, that man was going to sin. He knew that. And so the Bible tells us again in Ephesians 1 and 4 and, and 1 Peter 1 and 20 that before the foundations of the earth, God had this plan put into place to bring man back in fellowship with him. But its announcement didn't come until Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And if you want, you can turn there. In Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 15, Adam and Eve have sinned and um, they've hidden themselves. And what I think is interesting about that is when the devil tempted, you know, uh, things haven't changed much. We hear people today uh, tell Christians, well, you know, you're just ignorant. You know, if you really, really knew you wouldn't believe in God or you wouldn't believe in there's a supreme being and, and you're just ignorant. Now, let me tell you something. The devil hasn't changed in thousands of years because back in Genesis chapter, when, when he went to, to um, Eve and tempted Eve, he told her two things. Number one, he led her to believe that God was holding something back from her. Did God really say that? But the second thing he led her to believe, the Bible says, is that if she'd eat of the forbidden fruit, 
she would be wiser than she was. In other words, don't listen to God. You really want to be wise? Listen, do it this way. Hadn't changed much. And the Bible said she did. She ate of the fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the, God is talking to the woman and he says, I will put enmity, a state of being enemies. I will make you and the woman and, and between you and the woman, I will put hostility towards each other. And I will make your descendants and her descendants hostile to each other. In other words, the seed of woman. What was he talking about? Who's the only person we know of that was born purely of a woman? Jesus. Jesus, sure. And that's what he was talking about. He said, you may bruise her seed's heel. Meaning, you'll cause some discomfort. In other words, he's talking, God's prophesying the birth of Jesus. He's saying, you may bruise his heel. In other words, you'll physically put him to death. But that's just bruising his heel because God the Father is going to raise him again. But he's going to crush your head. Not only will he do it on the cross, but when he comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth. And so, here is this announcement. It's, if you're a religious or a theologian, it's, now this is going to sound like I'm really educated, Joe. This is called protoevangelism. Prothrotelevangelum. That's this big word that means it's the first prophecy of a Savior. He was giving hope. He was saying right here in Genesis 3 and 5. And then about 741 years later, through the prophet Isaiah, he elaborates on this a little bit. And Isaiah um, goes to King Ahaz. And he is being surrounded by three armies. And he's got a feeling that he's going to be wiped out. That Israel is going to be wiped out. And they're not going to be anymore. Then the prophet Isaiah goes to King Ahaz. And he says to him, listen. Israel isn't going to be wiped out. Behold a virgin. The Lord himself is going to give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so, here this plan that God had for you and I, for all of mankind, was birthed before he ever created us. Until, and down through those thousands of years, from back in Genesis when Adam and Eve blew it, down through the thousands of years, God has looked for and found people that he could work his plan through who would be willing so that he, that one night he could say to the shepherds that declaration that the angels gave do not be afraid for behold I bring you tidings of great joy and it shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. And you'll find that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and lying in a manger. And even the angels rejoiced. It said, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts singing 
Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. God had for thousands and thousands of years found people who would be willing. I'm going to share with you a few this morning. I want to share with you just a few stories. Because it's interesting and it applies to us and it gives us encouragement. And I'm going to start back in Genesis chapter 12. God is, is remember, God has pronounced that there's going to be a Savior. And in Genesis chapter 12, the flood is over with. Noah and his sons and his uh, sons' wives have been saved. And then the people have gotten together and um, they have said uh, on the plains of Shinar, the Bible says that they have such good, that they're all of one tongue, they all speak the same language. Anything they think of, they can do. Anything they imagine, the Bible tells us, that the people could do. And so God went down and he confused their language. And then in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord found in the, the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, this was the center of the Samaritan culture. They were anthropocentric. Isn't that a big word? Doesn't that sound like I know what I'm talking? What it means is simply their culture. I had to, by the way, I practiced that for three or four days. Just like sound good channel. But what that means is simply this, that man was the center of their universe. Not God, not anything man. We're the center. Everything revolves around us. And God found a man by the name of Abraham. And God said to Abraham, listen, his dad was probably a moon worshiper. And he said to Abraham, listen, I want you to leave your land to a land I'm going to show you. But God found somebody who was willing to listen. And so Abraham left. He obeyed God. Just that simple. He left and obeyed God. And the Jewish nation was born... And God established a covenant with them. Now, I'm going to advance you 421 years later. After Abraham and God made the covenant, we're going to go 421 years later. Moses has led the people of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They've come to the Red Sea and the Red Sea has parted. Um, they came to the edge of the promised land about a year after they came out of Egypt. But even though God had promised them, told them, said, listen, nobody's going to be able to stand before you. I'll take care of your enemies. Uh, you know, and he showed them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they sent in 10 spies, and you know the story, 12 spies, I'm sorry. And 10 of them came back with a bad report and said, well, those are big people led by their senses instead of the promises of God. Two came back and said, no, no, Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can go in. We can do it. And the people said, no, we can't. And so God said, you know what? You're right, you can't. This generation that has rejected my promises to you, not one of you will see the promised land. And so they wander. And in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2, this is seven, 421 years after God spoke to Abraham. Moses has died. And Joshua wakes up one morning, and he's in charge of about 8 million people. Now, can you imagine that? Waking up one morning, 
and you look out there and there's 8 million people relying upon you. And God tells to Joshua, he said, listen, you're the leader now. Remember, God's looking for people because he wants to bring in the Messiah, faithful people. And he said, listen, no one will be Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, if you want to write this down. No one's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so am I with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, let me stop right there. How many of you know the Bible say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you, do you know that? Then if God said that to Joshua, guess what? It's for us also. It's for us today. He doesn't change. If he did it for one, he'll do it for another. Same thing. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give you. And Joshua says, okay, I'll do it. And so they come to the edge of the land again. There they are. All of that other generation has died. And Joshua, so is the leader, and he sends out two spies secretly into the land. He sends them out. And, there, and the town that they came to was a town called Jericho. Now Jericho was heavily fortified. The walls were so thick, they could literally drive chariots on them. And they literally had double walls around them. They had the first wall and then they had the second wall. If you ever, if you ever get a chance, uh, read about the structure of Jericho. It was really interesting. And so he sends out these two spies... And they get noticed by the people of the city of Jericho, and so they got to hide. And they go to, they stop at this house, it's kind of like an inn, and the owner of the house is a lady of a rather questionable reputation by the name of Rahab. Rahab. Now, she's not an Israelite, but remember I told you God's going to find a way, when God gives us promises, He's going to find a way to make it come to pass. He found it in Abraham. Okay? He found it in Moses. Even though Moses, did you all know this? That Moses actually, uh, when God spoke to Moses on the backside of the desert, he was a murderer on the run from the law. But God, here God, a burning bush, said, hey Moses, I want to use you. And then he goes down and and he goes and he gets Joshua and the two spies are about to be caught and murdered and Rahab says I will hide you but but we're afraid of you because we've seen how your God protects you and how nobody can stand before you and so I'll hide you but but, when you take the city, notice she didn't say if, she said, when you destroy this city, you have to save me and my family because I saved you. And you know, I, I'm sure you know the rest of the story, but if in Matthew, you look at the lineage of Christ, Jesus, guess who's in the lineage of Jesus? Rahab. Anyway, then let's jump forward another 388 years beyond that. So now we have Abraham, 
We talked about Moses. We had Joshua. We had Rahab. And then 381 years, 88 years later, uh, there's a, Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king. They didn't want to be ruled by the prophets and the judges. And God said no, but they said yes. And God said, okay, you know. Well, the king they got, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above everybody else, and he was very handsome. And he kind of, I think he kind of looked like me a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny. Come on. Anyway, and he was really humble, too, you know, like me. And uh, anyway, he began to be disobedient to God. I know. You just have to put up with it, I guess. Anyway, uh, but he began to be disobedient to God. And so God was going to remove him. And he sent, the, he sent the prophet to a fellow by the name of Jesse, who had a bunch of sons. And uh, God told the prophet, he said, now listen, one of those sons is going to be the next king. And so the prophet comes in and he sits down in his prophet's chair. I don't know what that is. But he sits down in the chair and the eldest son of Jesse passes by Eliab. And, and uh, he thought, wow, this guy's, yeah, this has got to be the guy. I mean, you know, and he made the sons pass by. And in each case, God said, nope, that's not him. So he had them pass by the sons again. He, Eliab, Abinadab, Melchizedek. He had them all pass by. And God said, nope, nope, nope. God, I thought you told me that he was here. And so Samuel says, the prophet Samuel says to Jesse, are all your boys here? Now nah, we got one he's out keeping sheep. Little teenage boy that was so insignificant that they didn't even bring him in when the prophet came to anoint a king. So insignificant. I hit, not him. Never, not him. And then let's leap forward about another 400 years. But God found David, a man who could kill a shepherd, uh, a Goliath, and become one of the greatest kings that Israel ever knew. And you know what's interesting? Even after he blew it with Bathsheba and had her husband killed Uriah, God still said, he's a man after my own heart. I'll tell you what I think the secret is. He was quick to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I still make mistakes in my life. But I'll tell you what, be quick to repent. Just listen, God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you when you blow it. Just God, I really blew it, forgive me. You know what, you have his promise. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. David repented, and then about 400 years later, in the province of Galilee, in a small town called Nazareth, there was a teenage girl, and she was engaged or betrothed, whatever translation you want, to a fellow by the name of Joseph. And in those days, it was pre pre-arranged um, marriages. 
And one day this little teenage girl had the angel come to her. Remember, God way back in Genesis had said, there's going to be a seed of woman. Going to be all man, all God. God with us. Prophecy. We're celebrating, we're talking about the birth of Jesus. And God, down through the ages, found an Abraham and a Moses. And found a Joshua. Found a Rahab and found a David. And all of a sudden he comes to this little teenage girl. And he says to her, Hey Mary! Now this is the revised children's version. Hey Mary, you're blessed of the Lord. Uh, okay. Listen, you're going to have a son out of wedlock. You're going to call his name G. Emmanuel, Jesus. He's going to save his people from her sins. You know what I find interesting? Not one mention. Can you imagine this, Tony? Not one mention of, you know, God, if the people find out I'm pregnant and I'm not married, the law says they can stone me. Not one mention of that. Not one. Not one mention of the fact, if Joseph finds out God, he's not going to want to marry me. Remember God's looking for a way to bring his son in to the world. As you say, angels, so be it. And didn't even mention how you're going to deal with Joseph, God. But God went over on the other side and got a hold of Joseph in a dream and said, Hey, listen, that woman you're going to marry, she's going to have a baby out of wedlock. Bible says Joseph woke up and said, I'll do it. That's quite a bunch of stories. But you know what I find interesting? There's some things in these lives that really just speak to me and I hope they do to you and just build my faith. First of all, when God created us, when God allowed Owen Childers to be born of that Hungarian woman and, and that uh, English, half English, half Swede fellow. He knew the choices I'd make. But he still loved me enough. He loved all of us enough to devise a plan before the very beginning of time so that somewhere down the line, when I finally came to my senses, I could say, Father, I thank you for providing a plan that has brought me back into fellowship with you where I belong and what I was created for. And so when God created us, he knew the, quest, he knew the choices we would make and he knew that mankind would reject us, but he loved us so much, he found people that, he could, that would help him further his plan all down through the ages. And you know what? This morning, the next thing I learned from these stories is, you know what? Just as God had a plan for Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and David and Mary and Joseph, God's got a plan for your life. He does. That plan, and it's never been rescinded, never taken back. 
God's, no matter what you've done, and we'll get to that in a minute, he's never withdrawn that. You might be, God may want you to be a rancher or a farmer or a business person. He may want that. But in the context of his plan for you, you get to point people to Christ. You get to point people to Jesus Christ. And you know what that does? That brings them out from underneath the penalty of sin and the control that Satan has over them. And so the first thing is this. God, just as he had a plan, you, you may never have to leave 8 million people. You may not have to do that. You may never have to bring down the walls of Jericho or, or get pregnant out of wedlock. It doesn't matter though. God has a plan. And secondly, it doesn't matter to him how old you are. Look at Abraham. He was 100 years old. Moses was 80. God doesn't care how young you are. Look at David. David was a teenager. And look at Mary. She was in her teens. And God doesn't care what you've done in life. He cares in the sense that it hurts you. But look at Rahab. That's not what interests God. What interests God is that he's got a plan and he'd love to bring you out from underneath the control of Satan and, and the consequences of sin. Listen, it's when God back in, in, in uh, Genesis 3.17, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Did you know that when... When God brought Jesus to the earth, he's called the second Adam. You know why? Because when we receive Jesus Christ, the earth is no longer cursed for our sake. We come out from underneath the curse, the Bible tells us. And so God has a plan and purpose for your life. And he tells us that in Jeremiah. And in the psalmist, he said, you know what, Lord? All my days were numbered. You had a plan for me if I wanted to follow it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, just as it paid rich dividends for Abraham and Moses and David and Joshua, serving God pays rich dividends. And I'm not just talking about money. Proverbs tells us here, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Notice that. He adds no sorrow to it. But he tells us in Psalms 37 and 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what? I can only use me as an example. But my wife uh, and I used to talk, but when I was up on stage, I thought, yeah, boy, that's the greatest thing in the world. You want to know something, Butch? I wouldn't trade teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it was to two people for anything in the world. I didn't know that was my heart's desire. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I'd fall in love with people. I didn't know that. But that's where my heart was. And the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And you know why serving God pays such rich dividends? It's because he always keeps his promises. 
always keeps his promises. Way back in Genesis, a virgin shall conceive, call it the seed of woman. Years later, Jesus was born. He had to work through people. He had to weave it out. But he always keeps his word. Look what Isaiah says. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And no one can deliver out of my hand. I will work. Who's going to stop it? Who can reverse what I do? Isaiah 43, 13. And then in Jeremiah, I love this. Jeremiah 1 and 12. God said, you've seen well. I'm watching over my word to perform it. Just as God, when he gave that, that promise back in Genesis, the seed of woman, and you are going to be at a state of being enemies, but he's going to crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, and it came to pass. God always, always keeps his promises. That's what Second Peter tells us. I love Galatians 4 and 4. And when the fullness of time was, in other words, when the time was right, when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem you and I. Let me share with you the start this morning of this Christmas season. You see, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, it is the manifestation of God's great love for you and I. That he worked for years to bring to pass just so on that one night the angel could say, glory to God in the highest. And one day someone could come and say, God, forgive me. I receive your grace. What a time of celebration this ought to be. The manifestation of God's love for you and I. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes as we celebrate the, the, the birth of Jesus, Sometimes we need to be reminded of how much you really did love us and how much you went through just to bring that to pass. The lives of the people that, that you worked through because then you positioned through your son, you positioned mankind so that we could have a savior. Someone who would take us out from underneath the penalty of sin, the consequences of sin. The earth would no longer be cursed for us. We could enjoy life instead of struggling and toiling and being crushed under its burden. Lord, this morning as we celebrate, and let it be a celebration. Yes, I'm sad that you had to come and save me, but I am, I am so, I am so ecstatic that you did, that you loved me so much. And this morning, Lord, 
Let us just rejoice in that. Let us rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to have communion this morning.